Hi, and welcome back, everyone. We're uh, back with Chase and Drew on Top 2 PokerCast. Chase, talk to me. What's been going on recently with you? Well, I'm coming off three hours of sleep and a 20-hour poker session. Just standard, like, Friday night grind. But it wasn't standard because we were playing a really big Limit Hold'em game. And it was just, like, it was bonkers. <laughs> do, do you want to get into any more depth, or do you want to leave it at bonkers and uh, drop the mic, walk no, away? We can uh, we, we can talk about it. We were playing, uh, so the normal game is the 60-120 Limit Hold'em, which is a big game in itself. But uh, the boys felt like gambling last night, so we added in a kill, which a kill is where if you, if one person wins two pots in a row, or if they win... A one big pot, which a big pot is over 10 big bets, so over $1,200. Then the next hand, they have to post $100, and you're playing a $100, $200 the next hand. So we were gambling it up like crazy. I mean, there was like six-way capped pots multiple times every dealer. I mean, it was was just insanity. And uh, it was working out wonderfully for like 18 hours. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I was up like 12,000 and uh, plummeted, plummeted hard. I mean, sounds like you did something wrong there. I mean, the one thing I always try to tell people in poker is the key to winning a poker is clearly cashing out at your high point and leaving before the downswing. Uh, no, I mean, that that sucks. How'd you, uh, how'd you end up for the session? Pretty brutal or? Uh, I ended up losing like, 2500 on session. I think I lost 3000 in that limit hold'em game, and I won 1000 earlier in another game. Ugh. So, like, if you look at the session, just like on paper, I lost $2,000 or whatever. So it's not a huge loss, but from my peak, going on a 15K downer, uh, it was not fun. I mean, yeah, I always I'm, tell I'm you. I'm still a little sour about it. You just you cash out at your peak every time. I mean, that's pretty much... You don't have to listen to another poker cast we ever do if you just remember these words. Always cash out at your peak. So, just remember that. No, I, I did lose my... I was a little disappointed in myself. I lost my cool at the end of it after losing with, like, Jack's Plus 12 times in two hours. I was just over it. And, like, I had kings and, like, four to a wheel comes on the turn. And, it, of course, goes, like, betting to me. And I just, like, had a handful of chips and just, like, dropped them in front of me, and they splash all over, and I felt like a big tool bag after that. After I did that. Oh, so. no, you didn't. You were that kid? You were that yeah. guy with the beard? Yeah. Not cool guy with the beard? You were that angry guy with the beard? I, I was definitely angry guy with the beard at the end of the <laughs> 20 hours. <laughs> For those of you that don't know Chase well, when Chase gets frustrated, he just he looks like a three-year-old toddler that just stole something. Like, it just it's pretty... Hilarious. Uh, you turn bright red, and Chase doesn't explode. He implodes. So all of it shows through his face. It just turns bright red, and sometimes you get a good hearty man chuckle or two. Uh, but you can tell it's a frustrated man chuckle. Yeah, I I internalize. I like yeah. that's why I like oh, dropping yeah. the chips and being frustrated. I'd hardly ever do that, but it was one of those. Uh, it was just like a three-hour stretch where. It was just the, the McNasty of all McNasties. So so you called down and, and like, uh, he had you beat, or you mucked and he had queens? No, I mucked. It was, like, it was <laughs> one of those stupid spots. We capped it preflop, like, six ways. And, uh, yeah, it comes, like, deuce four or five, and then, like, a three on the turn, and I just fold turn. And then, oh, and this is a gross part, too, and then it comes a six on the river, and all three of them chop it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like I can't be tilted enough to just make a stupid call down, you know? Oh, that that's that's the best part of the story is you're just like Yeah. Darn if you do, darn if you don't. That that's perfect. You know what that that actually your little bit of misery made me feel much better for my week. Because ultimately we can't every we every poker cast have a chase run good flip overhand and drag pot story. As much as I'd love that, there's gotta be a little adversity uh before you end up hitting the two hundred and fifty K mark. So yeah, you know, people always criticize me for like only posting good results on my like 250k challenge updates, and I very proudly, not so proudly, but I <laughs> humbly maybe posted a picture of my like 
$1,200 that I uh, left the table with, and I was like, this used to be 15000 guys. Who, who are these people criticizing you? I criticize you for your beard and many other things, but not for your, your ambitious 250k challenge. Well, I'm much more offended at the beard criticisms. As well you should be. Um, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm excited. What do we got going on uh, this poker cast? We got a special one, right? We do. We got Jared Tendler, the man, coming on. A uh, little interview with him. I. It would have been nice if I took this crappy session and explored some of my mental game breaks uh, <laughs> with him on the pod, but we recorded it right before uh, I went to play. So, uh, But we did get a couple of listeners emailed in, so we got some very like focused advice for those listeners, which I think is really cool. To get an expert like Jared Tendler to speak into uh, the situation that you're in is is pretty sweet, so... Uh, good on you guys for sending in an email. Yeah, I mean, there's some really good content. Jared Tendler uh, teased a top secret pod project that we'll keep you guys posted about. Some good stuff in this one, so please, we hope you really enjoy listening to this uh, PokerCast and more to come. So we are here with the man, Jared Tendler author of the mental game poker which we have been using a lot of his content in this mental game series very excited to have him on i'm also joined by the man drew drew Hello. monster uh so jared how you doing yeah good man uh chase good to meet you guys drew likewise yeah you as well yeah. uh we we usually start off with some uh, little quick fire questions to uh get to know you a little better and they're pretty silly too so as long as you're good with that we're gonna fire them off I, th- I thought the first question was, uh, what's my standard fake name? I said Frank, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should have added that one in, but our oversight. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Next, next time. <laughs> All right, Jared, what is the best flavored potato chip? Kind of uh, hooked on this uh, Cape Cod, like sour cream and maybe chives, something like that, but they're freaking, they're brutal. <laughs> nice. Uh so I'm going to give you a scenario. You've been given an elephant. You can't give it away, and you also can't sell it. What would you do with this elephant? Probably give, try to train it to do some kind of tricks. Oh, that's good. Road, Elaborate. Like, uh, I, I, let's hear this. Yeah, like maybe like backflips. Um, you know, like, <laughs> like, like being able to juggle peanuts just with this trunk. You know, like the standard oh, stuff. Ah. Just a standard, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jared, do you consider poker a sport? No. No? Okay. Um, I'm a little surprised. No, I, I mean, like, so this is an interesting question because I, I've, been, I've been recently getting, uh, doing some work with, uh, with eSports athletes, video, you know, professional video gamers, video game players. Sure. And, and I think when you talk about the word sport in this context, people are just looking for legitimacy. Is what you're doing something that's serious, or are you just like a lazy poker player and you play a game for a living, right? Uh, but like all all of like the physical sports are really just games too. But the you know the traditional definition of a sport has been like something that is very physically demanding. So there hasn't been like a, a good word to use like in you know to call like mental games. Or you know, mental sports, but I, I would consider it more of like a mental sport than a sport, and I'm, I'm sort of like a traditionalist in that regard. But mm-hmm. obviously, you know, from my work, which is probably part of your surprise, yeah, the parallels between you know the mind and the body are are immense. But like, it's yeah, just a name. I I don't really I don't really lose sleep over it, and you know, I think it yeah. Can go so it's almost more of a other. semantic thing for you. It's totally semantic thing. I think it's the intent. You know. Poker players, you know, professional video game players, like they just want to be taken seriously. So they they look to be called, you know, they look. I think they look to have it be called a sport because that, you know, makes it to be something that it's, uh, you know, to be taken seriously by other people who typically don't. Hmm. All right. Um, next up, better psychologist. Do you think Sigmund Freud or Carl Jung? Well, see, this is see, this is tough, right? Because that's like asking, like, who's a better golfer, like Tiger, Tiger <laughs> or Nicholas, right? And and Young learned from from Freud, so you know, like, just like Tiger learned from Nicholas. So uh, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go neither. I'm gonna say, um, you know, they both had some interesting shit to say, but you know, the gan- the grandfather gave birth to the to the kid, so without him, you know, we're all just 
probably still, you know, whacking holes in our skull to let go of the evil demons that are causing our problems. <laughs> and that, that, that was a thing. I mean, that's, that was like, that's what they used to do in the 1800s. So it was called bloodletting. Mm, wow. that, was how, that was how they dealt with psychological issues. So yeah, we've come, you know, a decent way. Obviously, I don't advocate that in my book. So, all right, Jared, can you name three consecutive days without using the words Wednesday, Friday, or Sunday? Monday, Tuesday. Three consecutive names. Wait, oh, sorry. Okay, damn it. No, all right. So Sunday, <laughs> Monday, Tuesday. No, I can't use Sunday, Friday, or Wednesday. Oh, wait, three <laughs> It's kind of a trick question, but actually asked it's this kind question of a trick to Andrew. Question? Well, it absolutely is a trick question. But then I asked okay, this to okay, Andrew. I, 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 okay, I've got it. Uh, March 1st, March 2nd, March 3rd. Wow, See, that works that, too. That's, yeah. that's acceptable. I said Easter Monday, Tuesday was my out. Yeah, you got to think outside the box. I totally it was just like, well, that's a dumb question. But then Andrew and you now, both of you have just uh, one up me. Well yeah. done. Okay. <laughs> um, next one. A penguin walks through that door right now wearing a sombrero. What does he say and why is he here? Uh, which, which door? My door behind my, behind me? Y- your door, yes. Uh, he's wearing, sorry, he's wearing uh, a sombrero and a cigar. And he's and, wearing a cigar. He can be, he, but all we know is he has a sombrero. Oh, oh sorry. I, I was just assuming that he had a cigar. Um, <laughs> must, must, have, must have been a Freudian cert- slip. He certainly does now. Um, I think he's asking for the salt. Okay. Huh. Of course. All right, last but not least, Jared, how does the internet work? I would just ask Al Gore. I'm not really sure. It's a series of tubes. <laughs> have you heard that clip? No. This the series of tubes. Oh, epic! We we ask it to every guest we have. You're uh, you're in good company. Most people don't know it, so it's uh, it's been well documented in memes and such across the internet. How the how the internet works? Yeah, because it's like this senator giving this like speech on what should should or should not be law, and he like compares the internet to a series of tubes, and sounds kind of makes a fool of himself. It's pretty funny. Yeah, he right. just completely butchers it. Um, so that's that ends and uh, completes our our silly part. But interesting that you found a lot more into the do you consider poker a sport? I actually want to maybe remove that question, but that was actually really interesting your explanation. Um, yeah, let's yeah, get in a little yeah. bit. Oh, go ahead. I was just say, yeah, like the, the esports thing has been like a burgeoning topic for me. So I, it's sort of like literally I got asked that question two days ago. So fresh on my mind. Let's uh, kind of get into your uh, professional background a little bit. Um, so you, you, I read you were a golfer at one point in time. Yeah, yeah. I uh, was a golfer and then got trained to do bloodletting. <laughs> I, yeah, golf, golfer, golfer with with my own hangups. You know, I I got started in the like taking that sport seriously late. I, I was a tennis player for most of my childhood, like from like you know three or four to thirteen. Um, so I really took up golf like when I was nine, but really didn't take it seriously till I was like twelve. Um, basically, at thirteen, I was 411 going into high school with you know baseball tennis and golf all spring sports had to choose you know mm-hmm. I, there was nobody under six foot who was doing well in tennis except for michael chang and Ag- agassi which i did have an agassi mullet at the time which was <laughs> um you know obviously i'm not playing professional baseball and and so golf just sort of made sense so i, I got a late start i think as a result of that you know, I, I didn't have a lot of like real tournament experience when it came time to me to go play in some really big events, and I just choked. You know, bottom line, I, I, I was you know doing well, um, you know in, in like local stuff and smaller stuff, but trying to qualify qualify for the U.S. Open, and uh, you know playing great, but just you know pissing my pants on the greens and just uh, missing short putts and things that you know normally wouldn't happen when you're in a better state so that's kind of that kind of what what kicked it off and you know like a lot of psychologists who are motivated to like solve their own problems um, that was me mm. but 
I, I sort of found that the traditional sports psychology stuff just didn't get deep enough. And I think like my experience wasn't alone, you know, that there was just a lot of patchwork going on, a lot of stuff that sounded nice in theory, but when it came time to have it show up regularly, um, it just wasn't happening. And uh, so, you know, psychological degree in, in counseling, um, you know, and, and subsequent spent, you know, 3,200 hours of supervised practice, which is, you know, a lot of time. Um, uh, you know, working with you're, you're people. Kind of, you're and, getting a little quiet. It sounds like you're maybe moving away from your mic a little bit. Um, shouldn't be. Stuck to my head, so uh, is it any any better now? Yeah, 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 good. yeah. That's good. You just got quiet for a second. You're good. Okay. Maybe I was melancholy. Um, <laughs> I so yeah, got basically the the requirements to get licensed as a traditional therapist, but never intended to practice. I, I wanted to learn the skill set, um, and and then basically quit my job, flew out to Arizona, and started uh, working with you know golfers and trying to make a make a go at it. Hmm. How did you make that transition from uh, golf to poker? And I, I know that there's a there are some parallels, I suppose. Um, but how did that happen? Met a professional poker player, um, mutual friends. We ended up playing golf together, uh, and uh, he at that time. I mean, I don't know if you know. Maybe people probably don't remember, but at the time, like Supernova Elite on Poker Stars was brand new, and this is the first year it came out. And you know it's a year long, basically a year long rake race, um, and he was two months behind starting it, and was just having to play an insane amount of volume, and it was just destroying his mentality and his computer equipment. And <laughs> you know, about three months after we met, he contacted me and just said, you know, hey, see what we can do. And because he also was a former professional golfer, was able to very easily communicate concepts. To me, in golf terms, um, so I think one one analogy for variance would be like, you know, if you are just absolutely hitting the ball perfectly off the tee, and every single time your ball lands in the middle of the fairway and it like bounces off a sprinkler head and goes out of bounds, and you have to hit again, um, mm. like that's that's basically like what bad luck is. Like you're just peering it and getting completely screwed, um, and it's happening time and time again. Um, so. That helped me to understand <laughs> why why yeah. there was a, a pile of you know broken computer computer equipment, um, and you know in general I think a lot of concepts you know were discussed you know just the the, the necessity to, to be focused the decision making process you know golf is you know kind of like a hybrid in a sense like I think there are actually a lot of people that don't consider golf a sport, and you know 10, 15 years ago I probably would agree with them now. You know, a lot of the golfers are really in pretty tip-top shape, and it's it's become a uh, like no longer a thing that creates significant advantages anymore. Although it was before. Is uh, is that something that had uh, something to do with your inspiration for writing the mental game of poker? Did you see that that was it's really lacking in the poker market, and that was kind of a widespread problem for poker players? You mean that that that, that there was no psychological material? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I looked at the, the books that were out there, I mean, they, I didn't just think there was a huge hole in what they were what they're doing. I mean, you look at like the psychology of poker, which I think is really the first psychological book. It's it's for the most part, it's it's really the psychology of the game. You know, the interplay between different styles of players, and you know, it's less about the player and more about you know the the psychological dynamics of the game. So, so then, and then, and then we've got like, you know, the Zen of poker and uh, the Tao of poker. I, I mean, I don't, I personally don't know how somebody could write both of those books. Um, you know, you're kind of either one or the other. I don't think you're both masterful. So I think, you know, the content in that seemed to be, to me, just kind of, you know, just like stock stuff just applied to poker. You could read it, you know, a, a Tao of. Uh, of life or you know a Zen book it doesn't have to be specific to poker um, and then to be fair I mean people have made that that critique of my book also that you know the concepts are uh, you know equally applicable to you know you just read like a like a good self help book and you could probably you know get some help but I think for the reason it was needed was because uh, poker players didn't really have a resource like that and they weren't going to go read a self help book because they didn't think they had a problem and for the most part they don't. You know, it's not like a 
something that is, is largely dramatic in their life. It's these psychological dynamics are affecting their ability to make good decisions. And, you know, how do you fix that? It's, it's complex. So, yeah, that didn't exist. And, and, and then the other part was that my hourly is expensive. So, you know, you look at the, like, micro-stakes players online or guys playing one, two. I mean, or even just recreational players that want to, you know, learn. I mean, they're not going to spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, well, not hundreds of thousands of dollars, but hundreds or thousands of dollars. Uh, <laughs> I'm not quite that expensive yet. Uh, that, uh, you know, they're not going to spend it. So, you know, here's an opportunity for them to, to get some advice that could help them uh, for, you know, 10, 30 bucks. Were you, were you nervous at all writing about an area where, I mean, you're really not a poker player, right? Or And that's not your background? Uh, well, no, actually, I've, decided, I've started playing high stakes. Um, so I'm... Uh, I'm regularly competing in the 5100 games in Poker Stars now. Um, uh, I call. I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm not getting down through. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I'm horrendous. Yeah, I mean, I, I could talk a good game. I could sound like I know what I'm talking about to most people who are not any good. Um, but no, yeah. So yeah, I was definitely nerve wracking. I mean, I think at that point I had worked with enough players. I'd talked to enough people. I mean. I don't know that I would do it again, um, but I think I'm, I'm, like, I might need to if I ever like, go into like, another industry like, really intensively. But I spent so much time in forums like, answering people's questions, and it was like the best way to learn. Like, I got to have tons of interaction, you know, got to have feedback basically for free. People got free advice. You know, it was like a great way for everybody to learn. And, um, and so like, at, by the time I wrote the book, I was pretty damn confident that you know, it was going to hit home, but you know, writing something like that, you know, there's always you always have your have those moments where it's like this is just complete garbage, um, and then you kind of work through it and think it's like, and I think it's like you know the best thing I've ever read in my life, and then it's complete garbage the next day, and you know, you just kind of go through these cycles where you find something of value, and yeah, so yeah, I was definitely nervous about it. Yeah, sounds like the cycle of most of us that are content creators. I mean, I feel like that with the podcast too, so I can relate. Yeah. Uh, let's let's hit on some of our couple listener questions here. Um, Drew, do you want to start with Dennis's question? Yeah, I mean, he gives us a specific question. He said um, he feels like he has a great understanding of the game and how to play it. He spent a lot of his resources um, learning the strategy aspect of the game, but he says specifically uh, when he's in the game. He can't pull the trigger on some of the plays that he knows are profitable. But he reviews the hands later. He can see what he should have done. Uh, the best way to describe it, he says, is I'm playing not to lose instead of playing to win. And his question for you, Jared, is how do I approach fixing this? Uh, you got to figure out what it is. And to me, it sounds like fear. You know, playing not to lose is, you know, you're fearing losing or you're fearing making a mistake. Um, that's probably what's in there. Yeah, I mean, really not just for De- for Dennis and his question, but really anybody. Like the first step to solving a problem is figuring out what the hell the problem is. You know, right now you what you're describing is a description of what's happening, but that's not the problem. Right? The problem is that your your emotional system is, you know, too jacked up. There's uh, there's like a block that occurs uh, when when the emotion when your emotions rise too high and they actually have the power to shut down your ability to think. And, and it's somewhat proportional, so it's not like you go brain dead, but it's almost like like your knowledge becomes, you know, a little bit like diffuse in a sense. It's like a like a scene in a movie where you know you're you're like reaching, you know, for somebody's hand who's like you know I got a train or something, and you just can't grab it. Like it's just it's just out of reach. Whereas if the emotion's not there, then the knowledge is right is is just in your hand. You can use it. You know, you fire away with no problem, but. It's sort of just out of reach. You can't touch it, um, and and so uh, you end up kind of relying on a more primitive, uh, you know, part of your skill set, which is clearly absent or clearly missing a lot of the new things you've learned. So you've got to deal with the fear. Uh, get to the root of it. Get to the bottom of it. Um, you know, often fear has some connection to confidence. So you may want to look at um, uncovering what be maybe a little bit off there. So do you think the I mean, so much, especially in society today, like 
confidence is preached, like self-confidence. But I think what's often under-addressed is, like, um, I guess, like, going either too far, too high on confidence or too low on confidence can be a problem. It sounds like Dennis is kind of more on the low side, where it sounds like he has a very good framework for his game, but he just, like, doesn't kind of have the correct confidence in that uh, framework that he's already established. But yeah, because like when you're when you're playing, I mean that's that's where the rubber meets the road. I mean that that is it, right? You can't pretend, or can't wish that you're better, or can't just rely on on the on the belief that you have about yourself off the table. I mean, like clearly he he knows that he's got potential. Clearly he knows and understands the game. But you know, in the moment when you're there playing, like you've got to prove it. And that can—that's definitely threatening. It's—it's it's, you know you're putting yourself on the line. Um, so you know yeah I, I completely agree with you. I mean the like confidence is is way oversold. You know it's often mistaken for competence. Mm. You know like what I mean what what makes a fish a fish is the fact that they believe that they have competence, and when they don't. Right? So they're they're. They're so delusional. They're so so wrapped up into you know what they believe uh, that they don't really know what's real. You know, Dennis is kind of on the other side, where he probably knows a lot, but you know doesn't maybe believe that what he knows is either enough. So there could be a little a little bit of perfectionism perfectionism in there. Um, you know, the mentioning like the the fear of, um, of of losing. You know, the fear of maybe proving that you're not as good as you thought. Like, I mean. The problem is for people who spend a lot of time studying, if they go into playing expecting to, to have sort of like an equal transition between you know what you know off the table and what you're able to do at the table, you are basically setting yourself up for uh, failure. Right? Um, it takes it takes time. You know, you, you ought to always be a little bit more knowledgeable off the table than you are at the table, uh, and, and the reason is because. There's no consequences. There's you've got infinite amount of time. You know when you're under the gun. Uh, you know, okay. So maybe you don't have pure time limit, but uh, you certainly have. Uh, you know, you can't like go. Uh, you, know, you know, look something up in, in poker stove, uh, or uh, ask somebody else. You know, it's just you sitting there. You're on the hot seat. So there's going to be a little bit of a loss of, of some of your knowledge. And so, you know, for Dennis, I mean, one of the things you could just do is like, look at what you've already proven that you're capable of bringing to the table and just strip away all of your expectations for what ought to be, what you ought to be able to do and create like a roadmap between that point and what you're able to understand off the table and take the, like the most basic stuff that is missing and start trying to apply that. And then once you're able to do that regularly, then take on the next most basic thing and the next most basic thing. And you just sort of steadily work your way up. But when you sort of expect too much, then, then you're putting yourself in a position to fail. In a similar way as if you were to go into the gym, you know, expecting to uh, bench press 200 pounds uh, when you can only bench press 100. You know, the freaking weight is going to drop in your head and you're going to go to the hospital. So... <laughs> I think that that's that speaks to me so much because a lot of what made me an amateur player and probably derailed my career in poker is having these. I think having expectations from reading strategy and just having a weaker ego, just coming out there and trying to execute certain things and having a blow up in my face and not um, equipping myself with a, a learning tool like your book, the mental game of poker. Having some of the strategy, having some of that background. Um, but the execution is always hard. You know, we had a friend growing up, um, Chase and I, when we just met, who was a semi-professional pool player. Um, and I know you coach pool players, poker, golfers, day traders, and a lot of those, it's all about the mental execution of things that you're practicing in the high pressure moments. Um, and I think that it's so cool that you give us some very uh, good advice and, and some pointers on how we can bridge that gap because I know a lot of us like myself you feel very equipped when you go into a session but like you said Jared when you're under the gun and there's no one that you can talk about a hand with and you have to make that pressure decision 
you know, do we, what is our expectation and are we able to execute it? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough because you, you, you want to be able to believe that you're as good as you know you are, but, you know, you got to prove it. And, and if you're expecting too much or trying to do too much, you know, I mean, that's the thing is like pressure shrinks the amount of, out of, amount of brain matter that you have. So you've got to be really, really clear on stuff that you know very well. Um, I often think of like, like final tables, you know, like the, the World Series main event final table. You know, to some degree, it's, it's like a battle of C games. The player that knows their C game, knows their weaknesses the best, has the corrections to those weaknesses best, is going to be the most likely to be able to play their best, which sounds a little strange because basically what I'm saying is the one who sucks less is the one who's going to be better. And, and, and the reason is because you, know, you can't uh, expect to show, to show up with your A game. Like you, it's really hard to reach that point. And, and you kind of have to work your way up to it. And Uh-oh. There? Oh, I lost connection yeah. for a sec. Or one of us did. Yeah. Okay. Um, you you kind of have to work your way up to it. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's challenging. Hmm. Good stuff. Uh, I hope that was helpful, Dennis. We have one more listener question. Uh, it's from our man Pipes, friend of the PokerCast. Uh, Andrew Peeper. We actually, you know, we pronounced his last name the wrong way and gave him the nickname Pipes. <laughs> and we might have, <laughs> but we're going with Pipes. So uh, Pipes asks, um, "How do we set goals to make them healthy, achievable, and beneficial?" So just a couple of practical things and kind of a what to do and what not to do. Because Pipes just moved to Vegas, um, he's super excited and he wants to set some goals. And one other thing about, I guess, his the context of his story is in the first month, I think in the first week or two, he came out really fired up and excited, had a lot of success. But now he's struggling with um, motivation sometimes. You know, we kind of reviewed with him some tip, tips and tricks we do. But his question for you, Jared, is just how, how can he set some very achievable, beneficial, and healthy goals? And is there a certain model that you tell people when you're working with them that they can track and measure those things? Yeah, it's tough because it is so personal. I mean... You know, on the one hand, like some people are able to play poker, uh, you know, 60, 70 hours a week if you're playing live, um, you know, and, and just grind a ton of hours and it, it just, it doesn't phase them. They've, they've got like the endurance to do that and they have the will and the desire to basically make their life kind of one dimensional, you know, that poker is like the thing in their life and everything else kind of falls away to the wayside. So the idea of something that's like healthy and balanced and beneficial really is sort of dependent on on that player so you know with uh, with with pipes here you know he may need to like really sit down and just kind of map out like like what do you want your life to look like right now you know how much poker do you want to play in a week or on average in a month how much time do you want to spend or how much time do you need to spend uh, studying and and hanging out with friends or you know uh, playing you know, games or do you know doing what else, whatever else you do for enjoyment, um, and just kind of map that out and and you know do your best to, to make an estimate, and then just try it out. So you know it's the middle of March, make something for the end of the month or make something through the end of April, and and then by the end of the by the end of the month, uh, you know reevaluate and and see how balanced you felt. Uh, I mean, it sounds like. You know, there probably was a little bit of burnout. I mean, you go out there, you know, guns blazing, uh, trying to play a ton of poker, and and if you don't actually have the endurance, like you can only run three miles, and you try to, you know, run uh, a marathon, um, you know, you can do it, but you're going to destroy yourself, and it's going to take you a long time to recover. Um, so that burnout is a real thing. So you know, the healthy part is finding that that balance where you're pushing yourself like a little bit, like in the gym, going from a hundred pounds. Uh, to, to 110, not 100 to 200, or going from three miles to four miles, you know, it's steady increases. So, you know, if you're unhappy with the amount of volume that you get in on an average basis, uh, then it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you kind of have to start with what you can do. Like, you know, it, the increases are going to come incrementally over time. But, you know, if you try it, the, the sort of like hot and cold method where you just, you know, play until you burn out and then you don't play for a while. Um, I think in the long run, you're actually going to play a lot less than if you 
let's say you played an average of 100 hours a month and you want to get to 160, you know, and you go from 100 to 110 to 120, you know, instead of we work your way up, you can get to 160 by, uh, by the end of the year. But if you end up playing, you know, 160 hours one month and only 40 hours the next month, you know, it's an average of 100 every month or you know, every month versus actually getting yourself up there. So, you know, sometimes you, you, you may not be happy with what would be balanced today, uh, but you, you, you got to look at working up to it. Uh, you know, as far as like, like other goals, I do think it's healthy to set monetary goals. Uh, people often, you know, are shy about doing that in poker because there's so much variance involved. But who gives a shit? I, you know, <laughs> you want to make a certain amount of money, figure out how to do it. And know yeah. that it's not entirely in your control. You know, so you may set some, some bit of a range. You know, let's say you want to make, uh, you know, 8K this month. So you say, all right, well, you know, if I run like, like crap, you know, I, I think I can still make four. And if I run, you know, you know a little bit better, I, I don't want to just you know, get to eight and just relax and it's, you know, two month, two weeks left of the month, you know, maybe you set it at up to 15. So, you know, so that's, that's your goal. You're aiming at eight and you're going to, you know, be happy with, you know, somewhere between four and 15. Um, and, and if you have difficulty, you know, kind of handling the swings related to that, that monetary goal, then, then deal with the emotional chaos that's connected to that. Because at the end of the day, like money does matter. It's a reason why a lot of people play. Uh, it's a reason why most people play. So the idea of not setting monetary goals to me is, is, is a bit of a mistake and, and you know you miss the opportunity to uncover some underlying flaws in your mentality that could actually help you play better. Hmm. Man, I'm relieved to hear that because I have a I have a goal this year to make two hundred and fifty K in cash games. Awesome. I've, I've come under fire from a couple not under fire, but a couple of my friends are like, you know, like why why set such a lofty goal? Because it is quite lofty, but uh, I'm I'm glad to hear that you're you're on board. Although I do like the applying a range to it. I think I should set a, a bottom end to it of like my what would be kind of a, a solid year. And well, yeah, because if you get if you're at 80k, it, you know, and it's and it's like August, like you, you might be a little bit demotivated, and you don't want that. You right. want to maintain that consistent motivation. So if it's you know the bottom end is 150, and you still got five months left, like that can definitely happen. You can make 70k in, 50, in five months. Um, but yeah, I mean, your, your friends definitely have problems. I mean, like to, to one, like be concerned about you setting lofty goals says that maybe they're a little (laughs) bit insecure about, you know, what you're trying to accomplish. So fuck them. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a couple well, I'm pretty active on social media, so I've also made it like, uh, out there on social media goal, which, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe that's part of, uh, part of it too, is that it kind of comes off as arrogant in some ways. Oh, I see. Well, I mean, that's that's the trouble with social social media. It's it's very yeah. very impersonal, so you don't really you don't really know somebody who's setting it. So that's awesome, man. Absolutely. And 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 same same thing too. I mean, if if you think like if if two hundred fifty k is is doable, uh, then then the top end maybe you need to be like three three fifty. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so important to do stuff like that because the problem with poker in general, or at least there was a, yeah, there was a small period of time, I and mean, my. My glory day was like back in the heyday for maybe like a good year or two where you can kind of grow apathetic, I think, without goals where you go and you know you're a winning player at whatever level you play or whatever card room you play in. And I think without goals, it's so easy to get sidetracked. And as Chase and I have seen, we've played, what, you know, 10 plus years and I've worked in the industry more than that. You see that it's not always that easy. So you kind of have to strike while the iron's hot. And I think it's really good to to set goals for that reason alone, because you're always in a fluid environment and things may change. So you want to always have points of reevaluation. I think that's really vital. Totally agreed. Um, so Jared, walk us through one thing that interests me, walk us through the process of when you take on a new client, if any of our, our listeners are interested about that, like who do you think is a really good candidate? Like what situations do you think you would say they should be going through that they can't you know, maybe process on their own. Just walk us through that whole like uh, workflow for you at this point. I mean, the only real requirement I have for a really good client is somebody that's that's like just motivated to improve. Um, you know, because the the ones who make the worst clients, and I don't, I don't. I, it's been a long time since I've gotten somebody like this. So, uh, are, are just the ones who like either a like are just not willing to do the work. 
Um, now, like again, if you're if you if you're motivated to do it and you're struggling, right? It's not like it like you're coming to me with a motivational issue. Like that's fine as long as you're you're willing and have the desire to want to improve. You know, I, I can work with all that. But but it's the people who kind of look subconsciously to me to uh, you know get some quick fixes or get some quick tips. Uh, it, it's just not going to work because the kind of coaching that I do is really about getting to the root of issues or like really understanding how to get the most out of your game and you know designing a way to get you in the zone more often, get you more focused, and you know having your decisions you know be better um, uh, and more clear, more consistent. So that that like deeper level work or that complex you know planning is just not it's not something that happens in a session. You know, rare is the occasion where somebody comes to me and it's like, hey, very simple problem, very simple solution. You know, one 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 hour and you're, and we're done. It's like there's there's a, a very distinct process which I'll mention in a minute, and and you got to work the system, you got to work the process. Otherwise, you're not really going to see like lasting improvement because that's that's the end, that's really the end goal. Like I want to solve problems or design ways for you to be consistent. Uh, you know, long term, you know, at playing your best, and and that's just not something you can just you know kind of provide somebody in like a blanket way. Um, I'm much more the you know teach people how to fish than just give them fish kind of kind of person. Um, so you know, as long as there is that willingness, then then um, you know I'm happy to work with them. Um, and like the process essentially is that they fill out a very detailed questionnaire. It's the same questionnaire that's in the first book, uh, or at the end of the first book, and and that helps both of us be prepared so that when the session begins, we kind of are able to hit the ground running. And you know, I already have like kind of a working idea of like kind of what the the the, the issues are and kind of where I'm working. It's in a way, I'm I'm like a poker player constructing a range. You know, I'm not I, I'm not putting somebody on an on an exact hand. Like I don't know exactly what the issue is, but you know, I'm able to kind of narrow in, you know, kind of what uh, what is going on, and then asking them very targeted questions to figure out what it is and help them to figure out what it is because it's it's a collaboration in a sense. Right, you're an expert in what you know. I'm an expert in what I know, and we've got to put our heads together and and, and make some things happen. Um, and so then by the, by the end of that first session, there's a clear plan on what the next steps are. And, you know, then we're, we're you know, taking a break between a week to two weeks, sometimes longer, um, not too much longer, but it's in that time where, you know, the magic happens. Like that's where, you, where they are applying the strategy, you know, seeing progress, seeing failure, struggling, seeing, you know, getting new insights. Like all of that is where, uh, where the gold kind of happens. And, and that's the stuff that they bring back to me in the next session. And we kind of rework our understanding strengthen the strategy, you know, maybe some new issues have popped up, things they didn't see before. You know, so much of this is like, a, you know, peeling back layers, you know, and so the mental game is, is like, like the technical game in poker too. Like there's a constant evolution. So you're never like cured in the sense that you're going to be problem free. You can cure particular issues. Like you have mistake tilt, like that can be cured. But once you cure, cure that, then, you know, maybe there's a, a degree of focus that still isn't there or, you know, you're having trouble being card dead or you're just winning so much money that, you know, the game feels less challenging anymore, which is obviously a good problem to have. Uh, yeah. But so, you know, I have clients who stick around for years who are willing and, and really motivated to do that kind of continual evolution work. And then I have people that come for, you know, three, four sessions and, you know, I never hear from them again. So. Hmm. so I imagine when you're like peeling back the onion and you're getting into those kind of root causes of that stuff that you get into a lot of stuff that people don't really associate with poker, like money management or like personal issues, like even like substance abuse and all kinds of stuff. I imagine you get into, um, is no, that to be honest, pretty it's, common? It's, it's fairly rare actually. No, I think for the most part we're, we're like peeling back the onion and finding, you know, an illusion of control, a high expectations. Uh, you know, they have falsely ways of viewing the learning process. They have wishes, they have dreams that they think are real. Uh, you know, it's a lot of like conceptual errors and that's really kind of what I've, I think I've done well, um, is, is that I don't necessarily need to know like the way that a particular issue evolved. Like you might have had high expectations that have emerged from your childhood that are now affecting you in poker, but I don't really care so much about that. Like I just need to know that it's high expectations. Now, sometimes for some people, we do need to get into the childhood stuff because there is like old emotion or some flawed stuff that is still kind of reverberating. And so it's important to really make things stick and, and make the kind of progress that they're after to get into that, uh, that older stuff. But for the most part, 
you know, I've created like this, like what I would call almost like performance therapy where it's deeper than traditional sports psychology because it's not just like quick tip, you know, sounds nice kind of stuff, but it's deeper without getting personal, right? If people want to get personal, we get personal. But if they don't, we don't, I don't need to. We can do a lot of work just in this sort of conceptual realm of these, these various like just flawed ways of approaching the game. Hmm. Interesting. My, uh, my wife is a clinical counselor, hmm. so it, you know, I could, I could see you going either way and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I tried uh, to, I try to keep it. I mean, I, I think it's, especially for guys, right. They don't want to get deep, that deep, right. Some people do, some guys do, but for the most part, you know, men are not good at dealing with issues. They're not good at dealing with their emotions. So, you know, we try to make this as, as painless as possible. And, they're motivated to be better at the game and that's what drives them. And, you know, we get into some important stuff without making it too, uh, uh, too personal and too, uh, too painful. Hmm. So do you, do you still do quite a bit of uh, poker coaching? I mean, I know you're listed on your website. You do, uh, day traders, poker, golf, uh, pool players. Um, is there one of the industries you prefer more than the others or have enjoy more honestly? No, I mean the, the like the trading has has been interesting just because it's new. Um, I've also started working with a um, uh, like an e gaming, you know, a, a, a sports team that has like I think they've got uh, gamers in ten different games. Um, oh wow! So you know those are interesting just because it's they're like new worlds. You know, like learning like League of Legends is you know it, it's kind of like a subculture like like you know online poker has been where you know there's a language and a culture unto itself that, you know, so there's, you know, new things are interesting to me. Um, but no, there isn't a, like an, a, like an avenue that I prefer more than other, other than golf. I mean, golf is still the thing that I love the most. So I always kind of have like a fondness for working with golfers, but, mm. uh, the, the challenges of working with each person is, is interesting to me enough, you know, kind of regardless of, of what, uh, what game they're playing uh, or what industry they're in. But with golf, I get to kind of talk about some strategic things that I, I don't, you know, get to talk about with other players. So, and also kind of like understand the game, you know, so intuitively, uh, you know, than, than I do in others also. Uh, like I was just texting with a player today and like, I know, like I, I knew exactly how he played. Like, it, like, you know, I saw a scorecard, saw what he did in certain holes and like, you know, it was, uh, I just knew exactly what happened, so I was able to send him a message that reflected that. Like I can't necessarily do that with a poker player, um, you know, unless it's it's like really obvious. And you know, I mean, I guess sometimes with like you know with tournaments where you're getting like really good um, uh, live reporting, you know, and I can tell obviously you know cooler situations or set over sets, but you know sometimes getting in the nuances, it's hard to really tell you know what their mentality was like just from those live updates. Yeah, yeah, totally. And not to mention the live updates aren't always accurate. And that too. Well, Jared, it's been awesome having you on. Um, Is there any recent projects that you got going on? Or uh, how can people get a hold of you for using your services and all that good stuff? Yes. So uh, first question, uh, there is a project that I'm I'm actually hoping to finish tomorrow. Uh, I can't tell you what it is, uh, but it will be... Uh, splashed around everywhere uh, very soon. Uh, I would hope in the next month. Um, I would assume in the next month. Maybe it might be a little bit longer, but um, I, I, yeah, I, I don't want to say any, much more about it just because it's uh, yeah, a little under wraps. But it'll be uh, anybody who has who has read my book is going to be very happy about it. Anybody who has not read my book will be very happy about it. So it's uh, it's going to hit on all points, and I'm, I'm excited. Um, are are you going to put a lot of that on your website? When it when it does uh, release the details, if I if I say any more, I'm going to give away details. So um, oh okay okay <laughs> okay what I, okay yeah. What I what I will say is um, that uh, I will certainly I'll, I can certainly link you you know give you guys a link to it when, when yeah please do because we'll um, we'll update our uh, so. our listeners. Okay, cool. Um, and and then as far as coaching uh, or just getting a hold of me, you know people can find me in lots of places uh, on Twitter. I'm at Jared Tendler. Uh, information about my coaching is at jaredtendlerpoker.com uh, or jaredtendler.com. And and then, you know, my contact information is there uh, on, on both of those places. And I also have a Facebook page, Jared Tendler Poker, um, but I, 
I just I just am so bad at keeping up with it. So I'm actually I, I've I've really cut out a lot of social media just for my own focus on this project, um, and that's probably going to stick because it's it's kind of a nice not to have to be as responsive. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's the deal, man. Well, it's good to talk to you guys. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It was so good to have Jared Tendler on the pod. Uh, we got a lot of valuable stuff from him, Drew, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, really, really answered a lot of our questions, walked us through a lot of his thought process, how he coaches, um, and just helped him, you know, enrich our understanding of kind of the mental game a lot better. Really a pleasure to have him on. Agreed. Uh, well, in the interest of keeping it short, let's just uh, wrap it there, Drew. Uh, what do we got? Twitter hit us up at chase underscore Bianchi at top two PokerCast at what's yours. I am a new blit. Yep. That would be me. Quite fitting. <laughs> um, you guys can hit me up on Twitch. I play there on Sundays, Sunday evenings, twitch.tv slash chase Bianchi. Drew, you got that Facebook page going? Yeah. We recently created a Facebook page. Please like us, help us get out there to the masses. Um, play for, I want you guys to, if you feel that you have a quick question you want answered, Feel free to interact with us there as well. It's top two poker cast and look for a website forthcoming. Chase and I are going to be working on that this week. A lot more chase than Andrew, but you know, creative, creative oversight. I was going to wait for the recording to end before I <laughs> chase before, and I. What? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm going to look at it and rubber stamp it. I mean, please. Uh, I am a manager after all. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're going to have that forthcoming for you guys. Maybe some merch down the road. So a lot of exciting things. Please remember to keep giving us your emails. It really helps us know what you guys want to listen to uh, and helps us interact with you guys, and we love that. Absolutely. Hit that follow button, guys, and we'll see you next pod. Later. Bye.